0: The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by TheFlyCrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.TheWaitCreativeCo.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company, blog and fishing apparel and accessories check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you are, a listening.
1: You are a listening you are listening to the fly fishing 97 podcast
2: and i put it on seldomly but it, there's there's too much clown puke in my crony box to
1: you know <laughs> play on one fly did, did you say clown puke yeah. Okay. Well, think about it. that's you what I thought. You your, yeah, you open up a, your karate box.
2: It looks like clown puke. You got every color under the sun. Yeah, it's like a box full of blobs. Like I've got a, a box here sitting beside me. There's there's like twelve different colors of blobs in it. That's that's one of my my commercial boxes that I that I always have with me and yeah. and, and it's just a box of clown puke. I don't know what other way to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah. Do your first coating, put it in your cork. Yep. Tie your flies for the evening, and then you can just quickly do another coating before you you close up the bench or mm-hmm. or whatever your end of evening shutdown is.
1: Are you throwing gills on these things? Are they um, tungsten beads?
2: Um, I I do both white i do both white beads so like your ice cream cone style if you will Mm -hmm. and also um gills on a black or a brown bead those are those are my main two so i kind of play with both i i don't know what i fish more versus the other i'm i'm fairly close to 50-50 white beads, black beads with fluff. Hmm. Uh, I find I time more with white beads just because it is quicker. You you take away that step of adding gills. Yeah. And a lot of our lakes get those algae blooms. And with gills, they it, it almost like a vacuum. It sucks in that algae and, you know, you get your fly out and it's Got this big glob of green on uh, it and go, huh, maybe that's why I haven't caught a fish
0: for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> the Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on the Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%.
1: Welcome to this edition of the Fly 97 podcast. Very happy you are joining us this time around, wherever you happen to be, and we're going to do what we love to do, and that's seek out passionate folks in the fly fishing space, whether we're talking tying, uh, fishing rivers, streams, creeks, lakes, still water, all of the above, and uh, we've got a gentleman on the line from Armstrong, British Columbia, Canada, by the name of Travis Rowe, and Travis uh, ties custom flies known as bearded trout flies. Uh, you may have seen him on Stillwaters Fly BC back in the day uh, with his cat Congo. <laughs> um, I know I've seen a few of those posts myself. Travis, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate your time.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, sir.
1: So let's go back to the beginning when things kind of got going for you in the fly fishing space, how how did you kind of get this bug for all things fly fishing?
2: Oh well, it would, you know, I didn't really fish that much as a kid. Um always outdoors. Parents camped a lot. So I, I grew up in the bush and near the lake. But we were we were in the caribou at a at a small lake and there's a kid I, w- I was 12 at the time guy on the dock casting and I you know curious kid what are you doing oh, I'm fly fishing okay show me how and then I think that night or the next night out we were invited over to their campsite he's tying flies sat down and the next day we went into town and I got a fly rod and a fly tying kit and since there it's you know it's an addiction
1: mm. it's
2: been 27 years of Entertainment.
1: <laughs> How long did it take you to get into the tying end of it? Cause I know that you're really big into that now, but like, did you take up that fairly quickly once you started to fly fishing? Same day. Ah, that's unusual. I mean, that's unusual.
2: It was literally, well, we were up the campsite for I think about a week or two and they were up there. So every afternoon or evening I'd sit down, learn some tips and tricks and, yeah, it just exploded from there. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an obsession. And do you find you do most of your time in the cooler months where you're at, or?
2: Oh, I I tie year round. Yeah. Uh, a a lot of tying through the winter, of course, because I I don't ice fish, so I need some aspect of fishing. And it is sitting at the bench, playing and creating and making a mess. Hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: But yeah, I I, I do tie throughout the the entire year a uh, lot of tying lakeside really like I always have a, a pile of material with me if I need to restock or something I, I do a lot of a lot of that
1: now is this kind of a setup on the picnic table kind of thing or is this uh where where are you tying do you have a specific table when you're out there
2: um no it's it's at the at the picnic table, if the weather is nasty or in the evenings, then I might hunker into the trailer and tie. Hmm. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's at the picnic table. So, you so throwing might... a headlight, if it's starting to get low light and play around.
1: Yeah, I love it. So now you mentioned, uh, I know you take a lot of trips and when you're out there, you obviously, it sounded like you learned from that fellow all that many years ago, but if you had to kind of cite some influences who's helped your, you know, fly fishing along the way or tying or, or both, um, throw some names at us.
2: Well, uh, definitely Lyle who I met that was up there and he spent, I spent a lot of time there, um, brian chan phil roley mm-hmm. and lots of magazines and vhs tapes like i didn't have the internet and youtube to learn from when i started tying so it was a lot of a lot of their books and and articles and magazines and just blossomed from there hmm. but those those are probably the the main names of back in the day where i i really expanded of course john kent is a big name as well and mm-hmm. learned a lot of stuff in even the last 10 years from him
1: yeah he's a great so source um he is <laughs> yeah. very
2: very uh innovative in chronic patterns in our area
1: yeah and you think of some of the patterns he's creative uh created yeah. have just been stellar and and uh well pumpkin head um was it Guns and Roses? Is that one of his? I don't know. He's got so many cranny yep. patterns.
2: Yeah, Elvis. That's that's Elvis. one of actually right. one of my favorite of his is Elvis. And and the reason I like Elvis is I I fish him deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a lot of deep water crannies, and the way the the uh, opal moves in the water it almost opaques. so you see the the red underside. So it's almost like a a bloodworm gassing up. Hmm. And I like to fish that right in the mud or a foot or two off the bottom. I never, never fish it too much up in the column. As I, like I say, I, I think in, in my eyes, it would be a, a chron or a bloodworm yeah. gassing up to the pupil stage and then coming up.
1: Hmm. So when you say you're fishing like chronomids midges deep, are you talking like on a, on a wet line? Or are you talking on, on with indicators and, and long leaders mostly?
2: 90% I'd say about about 85% now. It used to be a little stronger, but 90%, 85% is all on sinking lines. Ah. I so love the take. Are you and... a dirty dangle guy? Yeah. Yeah. I love the dangle. I, you know, set my rods and you think about it when you're searching for fish. You search, you search, you search, and then you nine out of ten times guys anchor on where they see the fish, cast out 30, 40 feet, put their indicator out and stare at that. Don't even move it. Or if they if you do work it in, you work it in part way in and then cast it back out while you're still looking at your sonar cone and all the fish going, Why aren't I catching fish? It's <laughs> because you're anchored on them. Yeah. So I fish in my sonar cone and I do very well. I like it.
1: So now, are you double anchored for the most part? What What are you fishing out of?
2: Uh, I've got a an older what is it, uh, Springbok nine thirty two that me and the cat go in and double anchors, de fairly decent sonar and hmm. sit there and dial that down and usually watch where my my split shot my cranny are and where the fish are are working and almost playing, playing video games. It's, it's like
1: cheating. Okay. I want, I got, I want to dig into this. So when you're talking with a split shot, so you're using, I assume a fast sink line with, yeah. with how long of a leader are you normally fishing off that? Uh,
2: maybe five feet.
1: Okay. Cause
2: I, I, I use it for my, my gonfist line as well. So I, I keep a short leader on there. So it's, it's usually, usually four feet of main and then a a foot or so a tippet and then i i typically use split shot over a swivel um just because i want to be able to adapt to my fishing so even under an indicator if you're fishing a an indicator line you've got a swivel Mm -hmm. and you see a a good dry hatch or something going on. It's like, Oh, I don't have a second dry rod. So you got to cut your line off where, you know, you put the split shot on, cut your fly off, split shots off, slide your indicator off. You're on a dry instantly. So I kind of multi-use my lines. So the split shot is more, more useful for me. And, and then like I say, with, with watching my sonar, I, I throw my split shot about two to three feet above my fly and it's mainly just for a reference
1: is there a swivel on there as well I as mean, a bit confused. No. no so no so you're not using swivel you're going to a piece of tippet floral normally or uh, or mono
2: um floral for the most part yep. the odd time mono if i reach into the bag and that's what comes out <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay uh,
2: I'm, I'm i'm not picky and in, in all honesty i think the fish aren't as picky as we think they are. Yeah, fair.
1: Yeah, you get it a lot of times. <laughs> you get it in their kitchen and it's right kind of size and shape <laughs> he usually works, right?
2: You know, like I say, I, I started tying in the early mid-90s. And you, you think back then, there was no fluorocarbon. There was no UV products. There wasn't a lot of these plastics that we tie with nowadays.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: So I, I I think a lot of stuff is more marketed to the fishermen versus the f- fish. Yeah. But that being said, you know you still got to buy it and have some of those goodies to play with.
1: Are you a forceps guy? How are you finding that depth? Or are you looking at your sonar, pulling a certain amount of line off? What do you, What does that look like for you?
2: So, I've got like a, a plumb bob. So I've taken a a weight of sort. And then a wine bottle cork, and I've got uh, the section of mono that I've tied in between, and the the mono goes through the cork through into a loop around the body, and I just put my fly in there, and I drop it down, and when the the weight hits the bottom, your fly is in the cork a foot off the bottom. So that's that's how I do that, and then set your indicator if you're indicator fishing, or I use. Um, tire chalk i've been in the tire industry for a long time so i've got a lot of chalk on hand and i'll just mark that on my my sinking line roughly your second eye up on the the rod blank and mm-hmm. use that as my guide and then like i say i start off say a foot off the bottom if not much happening i work up a couple of inches or down and then use that that chalk mark on the line yeah. as my reference so you get a fish you don't have to reset and figure out okay, was it here, or here, or here? You just strip that line out till you see that chalk, and once your fly drops, it's right where you want it.
1: Is that is that waterproof whatsoever that chalk, or is it like this? Yep. Okay.
2: Yep, yeah, it's waterproof. Um, it does dry over time on lines, but you can just rub it off with your nail and, and it'll almost flake off. And I've, I've never damaged a line. Uh, Airflow, SA, Rio, nothing has been affected by it.
1: That's a great tip. I love it. I, I find it fascinating because yeah. you can be six inches, a foot, two feet out either way and have no lovin'. right? You just got to find that one little zone yes
2: sometimes it's within inches of being at that level if yeah. you know you're you're a couple inches too high they it's almost like they're just running on a single plane and mm-hmm. they're just mouth open and just chewing in one line and they don't go up they don't go down sometimes yeah. or they're all over the place so
1: those are pretty hard takes too boat fishing. those are pretty, those are solid takes too when you're fishing like uh like dangle
2: Oh, I've, I've had it where where the, it hammers down so hard that it takes a couple seconds to get out of the rod holder. <laughs> yeah. And the, the funny part is your, your left rod goes down and it sewers so hard you can't get out of the rod holder. The fish jumps between your anchors on the other side of the boat. So the the fight starts with the rod bent in the water, and you're trying to guide it between the anchors and get it back onto the side that you're on. Mm-hmm. Or you're doing the oh, I gotta pull an anchor, I gotta flip a rod underneath without falling off the back of the boat, and it's it's a lot of fun.
1: Oh yeah, I I think I always think about okay. So if you're casting out you know, 30 feet with an indie, you're straight down. By the time you see that take, you lift, you don't really feel the fish that often unless they really hammer it. But when you're fishing straight vertical, especially with weight, I assume you're using tungsten beads, and then you got the sw- the split shot. That is, that take is like, as soon as that fish hits it, you feel it. Yeah. yeah. Or
2: what, what I do notice, there's sometimes you get those little takes and it's just, the rod tip just barely dances and my, my one buddy i fish with he never grabs his rod on those he just thinks oh it's a little fish just nipping at it it's like no 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 grab the rod set it and mm-hmm. he started where he he sees those little takes and sets and sure enough you've got a, a decent sized fish
1: it's travis little guy. are you a rod tip in the water guy or do you have it above the water
2: what like where it's resting in my rod holder?
1: Yeah. So if you're doing the dirty dangle, is your is your is your rod parallel with the water? Is it is the tip in the water? Is it above the water? It's it's
2: not quite parallel. It's usually on a slight upward angle, just
1: okay. just for line
2: of sight.
3: Okay.
2: So you know you're not just dipping your eyes all the time. It's kind of right at that sight near peripheral. If you're looking off the side a bit, you can still see it. It's not down too low. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I'm probably a foot, foot and a half up off the water.
1: And it, is there a certain type of rod holder you like to use, or is it kind of just what what's, happens to be on the boat?
2: Uh, I run the, the Berkeley quick sets. Uh, they've been very, very good to me. I haven't had any issues with them. Yeah. I have not tried the new Scotties, they but they they look bulky. I I I've, I've looked at them and compared them side by side and they just seem bulky and, and I'm I'm very what's the word I'm looking for? Um minimal? <laughs>
1: frugal. 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 With my frugal. I like it. If it
2: isn't broken, I ain't buying a new one.
1: <laughs>
2: like for instance, I most of my fly rods are from the 90s. I, I do love older IM6, IM7 graphite.
3: Okay.
2: <clears throat> and, you know, the rods I have and the reels I have, they work.
1: Yeah. Well, you and I were talking about that before we jumped on. You, you don't strike me as a gearhead. It's like, I mean, it seems like you put a lot of your effort and energy into your tying and I'm sure your materials and whatnot. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. whatever works to but- get you on fish.
2: All my, my reels are the old BFR 355s and most of them the the drag if you can call it a drag is so blown out that it's I just use my finger on the yeah. the outer edge of the reel as my brake. Yeah. Yeah, I know a
1: lot of people do that. Hmm. And of and,
2: course, you know, I've got a couple other nicer rods and sage and uh what did I pick up this year? It was a uh, a TFO. Mm -hmm. a a 10 footer and you know something different to play with
1: how do you like the longer rod for the still
2: um it depends on what i'm using it for i've i've set it up as a indicator rod and a a floating line but i've also got a um a heavy sink but i find if i'm using the sinking line because i i fish a lot of dragons i like working bugs and I find after you know you, you put in four or five hours on the water, just straight casting, big meat. Hmm. I really notice it in my shoulder and my back versus a, a nine foot rod. but it, it, it definitely for for distance casting, I can I can probably get another 20, 25 feet out of a a, a big cast with a gomphist than I can with a nine footer.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I I get what you're saying there for sure. Yeah,
2: it's like a love hate relationship. But you know, that's with anything. Maybe you you love it and you hate it a little bit until you play with it a bit more, and then you go, yeah, I like this.
1: <laughs> We've well, got sure
2: eventually. I'll go all the ten foot rods, but they aren't broken yet. So I'm not replacing them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get it. We got Travis Rowe on the line from Armstrong, British Columbia. He's tying custom flies with bearded trout flies. Him and his cat Congo are out there all the time. What, well, before we dig into kind of the, my rapid fire questions, I'm curious, what got you to get the cat out there in the boat with you? Is it just, was it just happened one day and uh, walk us through that? Yeah. i Honestly,
2: I wasn't in the market really for a different cat. Like Congo's not a domestic cat. He's a, an F2 Savannah. So he's, he's more like a dog and where I live, I I'm in a mobile home park currently where, where I own my house and it's a no dog park and I go camping alone. So I kind of wanted to, some sort of fishing and camping companion, and he kind of fell into my lap. And like I said, they're they're like dogs, and they love the outdoors. And took him out in the boat for the first time, and he just loved it. And then did that a few times. And then our first camping trip was a twenty-three day trip.
1: Wow, that's that's a, that's a haul. Yeah, that's a haul. Huh.
2: Oh, that's, that's nothing. The last, last year I did a six week trip in the spring and I spent four of those weeks at one lake. Wow.
1: You must really get to know that lake.
2: Normally I'm on a trip like that. I usually take four to six weeks just around May long and into June. And I usually do a lake every three to five, six days and move on. But Two years ago, this this one lake in particular, um, I went to and I caught the tail end of the damsel emergence, the dragons, and then the caddis. Hmm. And that was incredible. I've I've never really gotten to do a lot of caddis fishing here in the Okanagan. It's 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 not like it, you know, used to be 20, 30 years ago, as I've I've talked to a lot of older gentlemen that fish hmm. the the area. So I, I went up there last year and and then this this last spring I did the same thing, but went a little longer and it was, you know, you, you can go to a lake for three days in to five days. You can have amazing fishing or it can be crap and you get one good day. So instead of going lake to lake and might have a, a bunch of crappy days or a couple good days or whatever, I figured, you know what, set base camp and learn the lake mm-hmm. and fish the smorgasbord. Like yep. Over over that almost five weeks, we did daytime dries. We did some night fishing on, on topwater caddis. Uh, th- almost three weeks of a very strong damsel emergence and the dragons. A solid week of fish smashing dragons in inches of water.
1: <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh... That's the time of year I don't want to hear about that. (laughs) You get to look at the tying vice for a while. Okay, man, you ready for a few uh, questions to kind of get to know your day-to-day?
2: Fire away, sir.
1: All right, let's talk tunes. Uh, When you're headed out on these uh, epic trips with Congo, what's playing in the truck on the stereo?
2: Um driving wise it's it's either podcasts or i like a lot of like progressive like 70 style progressive rock um, or if you want to call it stoner rock um <laughs> just stuff that you can just put on and and it's almost like a cosmic journey just to sit back and and flow through it so there's a lot of that playing where you know you you just lose track of the time and the drive, and it kind of makes it go a little faster. Mm-hmm. And same with tying. I don't watch anything. If I'm watching something, my hand stops, so it's always music playing. Yeah, and it's like a couple of bands that are in my playlist: um, Elder, um, Earthless, Mastodon for something that, a okay. little more mainstream sounding. Yeah, but just songs where you just lose yourself into right
1: Hmm. love it let's talk patterns one go-to pattern that uh you cannot live without so and i know this is a big question especially for somebody that ties uh commercially and and just loves tying but if you had to pick one pattern travis that's going on quite a quite a bit what would it be uh
2: i'd have to say probably gonfis gonfis dragonfly it's a a fly you can fish from ice off to ice on
1: What, what, what kind big... of gonfus? Describe the one you're, because I know you, you were just telling me you're tying up a whole bunch of them right now, but um, your go-to gonfus, describe it
2: So my gonfus is just a basic deer hair gonfus but what I do to make it a stronger robust pattern is I do a, a dubbing loop over the abdomen, so i don't tie the fly end to end i tie kind of assembly line style so i i spin the body trim the body and then i do a dubbing loop over the back half of the body with usually a and something a little longer fiber like a, a arizona semi seal or similar product
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i do just figure eight over the body and then do my legs and then spin my heads, trim my heads. And it just makes that fly so strong. Um, as I was saying to you, a, a buddy of mine just retired one after a couple seasons. seasons, one fly, one probably fly. 150 plus fish to the net and he sharpened the hook a few, few times, but yeah, wow, two, two and a half seasons before the body actually broke. That's amazing
1: especially fishing those, because those takes can be pretty hard. A lot of times they kind of tug and tear and, uh, it's pretty easy to lose some fish, especially big ones. Huh. You know, I,
2: I, I fish straight 10 pound mono what? when I'm fishing the
1: gonfis. Is that right?
2: I, I, I've moved up over the years. It used to be like five pound tip six pound. Then I went straight eight pound. Now, now it's, it's a straight 10 pound and you know Hmm. your bulk spools of your fluorocarbon or whatever and even with that those takes sometimes are so violent that they instant snap off yeah but you know for a fly that takes you know 15 to 25 40 minutes depending on the tire even when i break off on a golfist like that on that initial hit, mm-hmm. it puts a smile on my face because I know that was a very very aggressive and fairly large fish usually, right?
1: <laughs> what what it's kind of one pound
2: and a half, two pound fish that's snapping ten pound line?
1: Not normally. No. Now when you're talking about ten pound straight mono, like what brand do you like? Is there a brand you go to?
2: No. I've I I don't have set brands. It's yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little frugal with my money. So it's, if I see something that's on sale
1: or. I just wondered just, if you're like a Maxima guy or if you're, you know, cause when you 10 pound can be pretty, I, pretty heavy line can be.
2: I've used Maxima quite a bit over the years. It's, it's always been a, a staple line that you can find anywhere. Yeah. So that i i would say maxima um played around with berkeley some frog hair but i don't i'm not brand specific yeah okay nobody's paying me to to say their names
1: not not yet so not yet maybe (laughs) one day but um so when when you're uh looking to talk fly fishing and and let's say it's this time of year for instance you know it, like is there a fly shop near you a coffee shop a watering hole where to you get your fix on fishing when you're when you're not out there
2: um well the closest shop that i do frequent a fair bit would be trout waters in Kelowna. uh awesome shop great guys in there mm-hmm. and you usually run into some some people that you know, or see on the waters and, you know, one thing leads to the next it's an hour and a half later and you still have the same stuff in your hand (laughs) uh, there. And then of course you've still waters on Facebook and a few other places that you'll find me playing around with, but most, mostly lakeside. That's, that's where I can sit down and and have a good conversation and, you know, burn some earlobes.
1: You got a beverage going on when this is happening?
2: Um, I like my
1: coffee. Okay. Coffee guy. Uh,
2: very seldom. Is there a beer? Usually, usually camping. It's, there's a beer, a, a whiskey somewhere, but for the most part, I'm, I'm not a, not much of a drinker. I'm a recreational smoker.
1: Yep. Fair. Let's talk sports, man. So like, it, um, when you're pulling for your team what does that look like who, who do you cheer for when it comes to uh, the world of sports
2: so i'm i'm a little different than everybody else i don't watch sports um any sports that i would watch would be you know i've always liked racing of okay. various types drag racing um four by four and ultra four the ss srrs Rock bouncers, uh, mm-hmm. anything with wheels, I really enjoy watching that. Um, NASCAR, no, not mm-hmm. my thing. But mm-hmm. like hockey, football, never, yeah. never really been huge into that.
1: Yeah, does that have anything to do with fifteen years in the tire shop and now the automotive parts industry? <laughs> they got the no <laughs> anything no with one... wheels, no
2: i I've, I've always been outdoors. I like four by fouring and, and that's a that's always been a, a decent passion of mine. So that's just one of those things that you watch, right? Cool. I, I never played a lot of sports in, in school growing up. So it really didn't stick to me and I don't know, I I, I can't sit there and watch a game for hours on end. It's just mm-hmm. it doesn't do it for me.
1: Yeah, fair. What, what's your um, 4x4 of choice these days? What are you driving to get you there?
2: Uh, I've got a 95 Ranger that's fairly heavily modified. Um, custom suspension design, 35s. Uh, so yeah. it, it gets me into the lakes where the average person can't get into. Um, yeah. I do fish a few lakes here and there that, yeah, a stock vehicle is not getting into.
1: Are you throwing that tinny on top or you got a trailer? How are you getting the boat in there?
2: Um, the boat's right on top of the truck. Yeah. Uh, even even when I'm towing, like I've, I've got a little uh, cargo trailer that I converted into a, a camper for me in Congo. And that's, that's what we live in when we're not here at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the boat's up on the truck. It's... I was going to put it on the trailer, but I thought, you know, day trips versus camping trips, I got to move the boat around. So if the boat's on the truck, it's always there and always with me.
1: Good stuff. If you had to look back at all your fly fishing years, years on the water, years at the tying bench, why do you think you spend so much time doing this? Like, what does it bring into your world? What does it do for you?
2: Um, it's, it's a way to unwind and relax from, you know, your day-to-day life. Any, anything outdoors related is, I've always found very relaxing. So sitting at the bench, even, even though, you know, commercial tying where you're tying the same pattern, the same color all night long, dozen after dozen some nights, it's still enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, that unwind and relax and rejuvenate from life. So, you you know, if you're a weekend warrior, you get a couple days in or your trips and you're just more relaxed when you get back to life.
3: Hmm. Yeah. And, it's, Amen. and I like
2: learning. I, I always have gone to a lake to learn. If, if I'm at a lake and I'm just smashing fish left, right and center, it, it's not as much fun as trying to find those fish or keen to what they're feeding on. Mm-hmm. And and I like the, the challenge of it. That's, that's really why we fish, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Is I think so. The challenge. I think so. It's like, if you're on a stocked little pond, that's, you know, it wears off pretty fast. You do need to be challenged. I, I get it. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Like there, there are those days where you, you want to be that guy. That's the, that, the rods are bent all day long, but there's days where I want those hard days. I want to work for that fish. And it's, you know, you, you put in a say a six hour day for three fish. Well, those three fish mean a lot more than that six hour day where you caught 50 fish.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. It's, that sounds like it's a really lot of big fish lakes might be on your radar too, though. Cause I was fine. Those are the ones where you've got to put the time in, you got to, you know, put the sweat equity in before.
2: Exactly. You know, there's, there's a lake that I fished. It was probably five years of fishing it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't catch anything over 14 inches, but five years of, of, of working that lake, it finally paid off and I I look back at all those days that it wasn't a wasted day. It wasn't a a frustration day. It was a learning day. Hmm. Even though the guys beside me are dropping five, eight pound fish left, right, and center, and I'm getting one or two 14 inch fish. It's still an enjoyable day and you're, you're still learning. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's talk, um, jobs. What, what's the best gig you've had so far?
2: Um, hmm. I don't know if I've gotten that job yet. Really? Well, <laughs>
1: that's honest. What about Tyne? I mean, is Tyne? Do you think Tyne could be that job for you?
2: It's. It could be. Um, I shouldn't say I haven't had that job. I've had a lot of a lot of good jobs, but I don't know. I've never. I don't think I'll ever have the perfect job. Mm-hmm. There will mm-hmm. always be flaws or downsides to every job even with fly tying there's it's a lot of time some some nights like i work a full-time job mm-hmm. and then i come home entertain the cats make dinner do whatever i have to do and then i'm at the bench from 6 7 o'clock till you know, there's days where, okay, my eyes are getting blurry, the ribs are a little off. What time is it? Oh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be up in four and a half hours. So, oh. you know, there, there are days like that that aren't enjoyable, but for the most part, it is enjoyable. So, yeah. you know, it could be that dream job, but I don't know if I'll, there is such thing as a dream job.
1: What's the worst job you've had? What's the one, is there anything you've done in the past that you're like, I'm not going to do that again?
2: tires <laughs> no i shouldn't say that. i i enjoyed the the industry um i pumped out houses for a rental company for a, a season that that wasn't an enjoyable job <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time you know you you gotta you gotta take those bad jobs and look at the good side to them and and enjoy some aspects of it yeah but no um, I, I i don't think there's a, a job that i've hated i shouldn't use that word but strongly disliked i guess
1: yeah well i know you 15 years in in a tire shops a long haul and now in the automotive parts industry but tying a heck of a lot of flies why don't we talk about bearded trout flies because i know um i mean just talking with you i could i can tell how much time you you, you spend at the vice it's such a huge part of, of your life what what made you start um kind of tying custom flies
2: well um i i, I got into the fishing industry uh, about grade nine and and working in a few shops down at the coast and then i did a, a stint here when i moved to the okanagan with trout waters so even even Back then, I did a little bit of tying and, and selling to shops. So it's, it's always been an aspect of tying where I've, you know, made a couple dollars to go into the the gas tank or the camping fund or the material fund. And over the years, it's just grown more and more and more. In the last couple of years, I went, you know what, let's really focus on, on – my name out there get some content on the internet and mm-hmm. this last year i've started a youtube channel and that in itself is a lot of work
1: <laughs> yeah what, which so are you you're you're basically creating patterns and kind of um like a step-by-step tying kind of process i was watching some before we jumped on this yeah yeah
2: yeah okay. pretty much um i'm i'm just getting into it learning the the whole you know videoing and editing the mm-hmm. that's that's going to progress more and more but it's i i learned from vhs tapes magazines and old guys you know the guy that's sitting over your shoulder saying no that's not how you tie a 52 buick or that spratly <laughs> got to be this way or whatever and, and mm-hmm and i never had that opportunity to you know have that video where i can stop it pause it rewind it or ask questions from someone across the world so
1: right
2: i've always enjoyed teaching um i taught fly tying down the coast i i've taught it through trout waters i've done some private lessons as well over the years mm-hmm. and i i really enjoy teaching and in showing people different techniques or skills um, for instance the sinking line crony fishing yeah i see more people doing it in the last few years than i did 10 years ago
1: oh yeah yeah it used to be um, all, all indies right
2: yeah and and you know even even sitting on the water where you're you're anchored 20 30 40 feet off off another another guy and you're you're talking away and and you're watching his indicators as he's sitting there watching you hit fish right below your boat his indicators are going from 30 feet behind him. Now they're 20 feet. Next thing you know, his indicators are sitting beside his boat. So it's, <laughs> you know, people are, are progressing more and more and, and I've, I've fished with a lot of guys that have never did it and then got into it in the last year. And it's like, why did earn this years ago?
1: Yeah. Well, you, you got me interested and, in, in, in looking at how I'm doing that because I, I, I fish with a buddy and he's really good at uh, doing the dangle. I'm usually on the Indies, but, um, he, there's, there's times when he'll kick my butt, you know, and, and like you say, I I swear, it's because like you say, you're on the fish. So why not fish right there? And it's amazing how close you can actually catch them to your vessel when you're 20 yeah. feet down. You know, I'm, I've,
2: I've done it shallow. Um, two years ago, a couple of weeks after I saw the, the lake was murky and I'm anchored in like. I think I was about eight feet of water and fishing, fishing shallow. And, and for some reason my sonar was still on and I kept seeing the odd fish below me in, in eight feet of water. So I'm, you know what, let's try it. I had over a, I think I was there for four days. I think I had about three fish on my indicator rod and 50 plus over that period in eight feet of water right below my boat on the sinking line. Wow,
1: that's something. So
2: it, it it's something that, you know, it's not just deep water. Hmm. Uh, I do a lot of 15 to 20-foot depths, and it works so well. I've had uh, one lake that's that's fairly clear and sitting 15 feet with sinking lines and look over the boat, and you can see fish cruising the bottom, and every now and again you see one. Yeah, that's going to hit. And you just reach for the rod, and sure enough, it's on.
1: <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, I love it. Uh, let's talk about your tying setup. So, is there a specific type of vice, Travis, you like to tie on? Or have you kind of gone through the gauntlet of different vices and arrived on one that works for you? Or like walk us through your equipment setup a little bit. What are you tying on?
2: So, I've got a Renzetti presentation. yeah four thousand, i believe i picked it up when was that 98 99 so i've been tying on it for 23 24 years somewhere in there Hmm. uh started with your your typical sunrise a little cheap vice uh played with uh regal for a bit and then I wanted a rotary because I was I was getting more involved with with my tying back then, and I I wanted a a nice vice, and I tried a Dyna King for a little bit. Didn't it was alright. The Nora vice didn't really do it for me, and then played around with the Renzetti, and I was hooked with the Renzetti. It's hmm. it's been a great vice. I've put a couple sets of jaws in it over the years, but that's just excessive use <laughs>
1: now, but it's, it's, do you it's use one of those the,
2: devices that works great.
1: Do you use a rotary function for your ribs or are you one of those guys that kind of just guides your hand when you do the rib or do you use the rotary? A, lot? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I use
2: the rotary like for ribs. I don't use the rotary that much. I hand over hand a lot and I'm usually a little quicker with that. Mm I like, I like the rotary vice because you can index your vice to whatever angle or side you want to work on. So if you're, you're say you're doing small mayflies and you're, you're adding some legs to the side of the body and you want to see the backside of the fly, just rotate your vice till you got that spot at the right angle of your eyesight. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. Actually, I think, Sometimes I, I tied so long on a vice that wasn't road, rotary and I've got a Renzetti uh, traveler, but when I, sometimes I forget that I can just do that. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you just position that in an easier spot? You know, it's like,
2: yeah, no kidding. You, you got legs at nine o'clock and you got legs at three o'clock, you know, and yeah. you, you want nine and, or no, wait, hold on. Nine <laughs> and three is good. <laughs> so you got nine, nine o'clock and six o'clock for your legs on your, on your mayfly and you're, you look at it and go, How did I do that? <laughs> so the 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 rotary is nice for that. And yeah. and just seeing that side of the fly, because if you don't have if you've got a, a straight vise, you can't see that that side the back side. And you want to make sure you're you're say you're dubbing a body, you want to make sure that the body is consistent on, on both sides. You don't have a big blob somewhere. So it's it's nice just to, you know, give it that. That quarter turn, check the side of your fly, and drop it back down to where you are if you need to. Right.
1: Let's talk thread. What do you What are you using for thread these days? What's your go to? I'm um...
2: Um, as, as much as the dialots have been changing over the years. I still like my UTC thread. It's yeah. It's something, and I I use a lot of Uni thread as well. Okay. Um, especially with my, my gonfuses or any deer hair patterns, um, mother minnows, something that I need to be able to really, you know, be rough on the thread and not worry too much. Um, I haven't played around with, with much other threads just because I don't want to change my style of tying. I've tied with UTC for how long now 20 Mm -hmm. plus years so i i I know how much tension i can put on my thread before it's gonna fray or i snap it yeah so i i didn't want to you know relearn all that muscle memory Mm -hmm. with going to a different product you know i i could i could spend some time with it but like i say if it's not broke don't fix it
1: the thing I love about UTC is their color spectrum, too, because a lot of these newer threads, there's not quite the choices. And I, I get yeah. what you're saying. Like the dye lots over the years, um, they tend to change s- somewhat. But uh, <laughs> so I, I love the with a few of them. <laughs> well, are you are you talking blue done here? Which one you, is there a specific one you had, you got in mind? Like a, a blue some...
2: Well. Blue dun, like a lot of people have known, has changed a bit. Uh, your, your rust brown, burnt yeah. orange, yeah. those ones have changed quite a bit. Um, I've, I've got like three different shades of burnt orange here. A couple different shades of Blue dun. but, you know, is it new? Is it old? Does it matter how light or dark that Blue Dunn is? You know, once you put a little bit of glue on, it changes everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, fair. Uh, now what are you using for are you a big UV resin guy are you using um like uh super glues? What what are you using for, for glue?
2: Well, I'm I got a little bit of everything on the bench, of course, but my, my main would have to be the Sally Hansen's uh nail polish. Hmm. Uh, the the one thing I like with with nail polish versus your UV resins and glues is that it soaks into the body, where your your resins sit on top of the body. So if you're tying a chronomid and you want it to, you know, um, say uh, what's the word I'm looking for flashaboo for your your rib and then a just a, a UTC thread body. Mm-hmm. That fly, you know, if you don't coat it, it's gonna last a couple fish before that rib's destroyed. Once once you get your your sallies on it, it, like I say, it soaks into the body almost. Did you ever tie with the uh, acetate floss?
1: Yes, I did.
2: Remember how you you add the what was it? What? It,
1: yeah, uh, it, you just have to add. Um, was that a two part add- thing? I can't.
2: Yeah, so you use the glue, the the floss, and then you put a coating on it, and it almost seals it solid.
1: Right, right, kind of like when you build a fly a... rod wrap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So
2: that's what I like about the nail polish is it soaks into the body and really binds it together. So that's Sally
1: do... Hansen Hard as Nails or set Sa- Which one do yeah. you use?
2: Yeah, I use the Sally Hansen Hard as Nails or the the quick dry. Um, uh what's this bottle the extreme
1: wear okay so 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 walk me through this because i need you need to educate me on this because i suck on finishing with it and i'm using uv i find i don't like using uv resin that much just going to be honest and i talk to people who use crazy glue super glue um you name it but so so you're kind of really soaking that fly when it's tied with the nail polish or the varnish, whatever. And then you put anything on top of that or do you just, how, how long does it take to dry?
2: Well, like I say, I I do dozen after dozen of like, when I'm sitting on tying cronies is I'll tie that fly, finish it off, cut the thread. And then my nail polish, while it's still in the vise, I just give it a quick, quick wipe down or two. And like I say, it soaks into the body. So if, if you're a little heavy on it, on that first gluing, it's going to kind of suck into the body, still create a, a nice profile. It's not going to get your, your bumps. Like if you don't get your UV proper, you haven't been rotating or indexing your vice and you get that, those gloops. So you Mm -hmm. might have a a chronomid that's got a bit of a belly or, or a butt bump where where yeah, with the yeah, the um the nail polish like i say I, I do that one coating and then i pop it into the top of a, a wine bottle cork and then usually let those dry overnight and then the next night or whenever i remember to throw a second coat on it's I leave them right in the oh okay. in the cork and basically paint them just a, a quick bead to uh bead to bend bend to bead right down and that's it
1: and you so you you actually will wait 24 hours before you do a second coat quite often
2: well just because i've I've tied so many yeah in
1: production then
2: it's just the next night
1: yeah okay um i
2: i've done a second coat after an hour at the lake or actually i've Cut my time a little quicker than that. Maybe half an hour to an hour outdoors. Okay. It seems to, in natural conditions, I think it glues a little quicker. Hmm. But um, I like it. yeah, you know, do your first coating, put it in your cork, yeah. tie your flies for the evening, and then you can just quickly do another coating before you you close up the bench or mm-hmm. or whatever your end of evening shutdown is.
1: Are you throwing gills on these things? Are they um, tungsten beads? Um, I I do both
2: white <clears throat> I do both white beads, so like your ice cream cone style, if you will, mm-hmm. and also um, gills on a black or a brown bead. Those are those are my main two. Yeah. So I, I kind of play with both. I I don't know what I fish more versus the other. I'm I'm fairly close to 50 50 white beads black beads with fluff Hmm. Uh, i find i time more with white beads just because it is quicker you you take away that step of adding gills yeah yeah and a lot of our lakes get those algae blooms and with gills they it it almost like a vacuum it sucks in that algae and you know you Mm -hmm. get your fly out and it's got this big glob of green on it and you go, huh, maybe that's why I haven't caught a fish for a bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I know exactly. I've been there. So, um, wing buds, no wing buds. No, Yeah. I,
2: I played around with it a bit, but here's the thing. Is it for the fishermen or the fish? This, this is, this is where I'm a little controversial as a, as a fisherman or a fly tire because, I tie for the fish versus the fisherman's eye. I Some of my patterns, I do a, a, a different color for a, a, a wing bud. So if I'm doing a, an ice cream cone or any and just that little collar of a, a burnt orange or, or a brown on there, and that's, that's good enough of a little transition for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that a fish is swimming around and goes, ooh, I like those wing butted flat, those wing butted ones better than those ones. I'm going to turn and take those instead. I don't think that the fish is thinking that way. So i I do time a little bit, but it's it's not one of those things that I I have to do or has to be on my fly. Mm-hmm. It, it it's more of a a technique that's fun to play with than appeasing to yourself as a tire
1: yeah i i know i know exactly what you're saying at, like at first glance it looks great but i can't tell you how often i try to get fa- fancy fancy sorry go ahead yeah you keep it simple right yeah I mean, yeah what's that saying kiss keep it simple stupid
2: The the fish isn't as smart as we make them to be for for instance you you can be in a boat you can be fishing two different chromids, Two different sizes. The boat beside you can be fishing two different cronies, two different sizes. As long as you're in the zone, the fish are feeding on crannies. They're not going, oh, that's uh, brown with a silver rib. That's all I'm focusing on. That's the naturals. And you've got, say, say elvis for instance, is red and got some bluey green flash to it. It's, it's not like that fish is feeding 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 and goes oh that's different i don't want that and goes around it fish are opportunistics think think about us you see a pizza you don't care what the toppings are it's pizza you're having a slice <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: so i I, I, yeah. I think the fish is you know they're they're at that set level and they're they're king it on cronies, whether it's you know a size 12 or 14 sometimes it does matter sometimes it doesn't and I know a lot of, a lot of the, uh, I wouldn't say elitist chronomid fishermen, but you know, it's, it's gotta be this color. It's the only one that works. It's this depth. I've I've fished five feet off the bottom when everybody you knows it's gotta be a foot off the bottom. That's the only spot a chronomid works.
1: How often too it's, it's kind of what's, what's your comfort zone and where are you comfortable? And it's like those flies you're putting on, whether it has a tiny little bit of flash in it or and there's yeah. so many variables, right? What's what's the sunlight doing? Um, how clear is the water? You know? Yeah. But and go ahead. Like
2: said, You have to be confident in that fly. If you're not confident in that fly, you're not going to have success with it. Uh, my one buddy loves black with a red rib. I have no confidence in that fly. Even though it's, it's one of those staple cronies and everybody knows it, everybody fishes it. I put it on and I myself don't have confidence in it. So I'll put something else on that might be completely different. It might be black and blue or purple and whatever. And I have the confidence and know that that fly is going to work and produce where another person is going to look at it and go, nah, it's, that's not for me.
1: You know, what's funny is I've caught a lot of fish over the years on black with red rib and some of the biggest fish I've seen have been caught on that, but I don't actually use it very often. And I can't even tell you why, but it does, it does work for sure. <laughs> but- it, it,
2: it does work. Like, like I say, my, my one partner that I fish with, he, it's one of his go-tos and, and I put it on seldomly, but it, there's, there's too much clown puke in my crowny box to, you know, <laughs> play on one fly.
1: Did, did you say clown puke? Yeah. Okay. Well think about it. That's you what I thought you said. Your, yeah, you
2: open up a, your karate box, it looks like clown puke. You got every color under the sun. Yeah. It's like a box full of blobs. Like I've got a, a box here sitting beside me. There's one there's like 12 different colors of blobs in it. That's that's one of my my commercial boxes that I that I always have with me. And it's yeah. and, and just a box of clown puke. I don't know what other way to
1: describe <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like blobs and boobies and cronies. Um yeah, love it. So like if somebody's listening to this and they check out your YouTube channel some of your time and and want to get some patterns like what what's the best way to go go about reaching you?
2: Um email uh get a hold of me, just message me do a comment on facebook or uh youtube or i'm on facebook and instagram at bearded Trout's flies as well you can get a hold of me there or email um fish at gmail.com and it's the numeral four, not for or f-o-u-r but, but yeah those are those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me um i do have a phone but you know, there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this podcast, and I don't want random phone calls from around <laughs> the world of random people. Hey, I heard you on this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Come on, why not? Um, so, <laughs> you know, something I like to ask um, my guest Travis is is walk us through your perfect day. Like, I, paint us a picture of your ideal day. You know, um, what type of water are you fishing? How are you fishing? Who are you hanging with? Is Congo in the boat? I assume, uh, I assume, uh, he probably is, but walk us through your dream day. The dream day
2: would probably be waking up lakeside, getting out of the trailer, starting coffee, taking the critter for a walk and then, uh, popping out on the boat and relaxing there and just seeing what the day brings. I, I don't have an ideal day. It's every day on the water is ideal to me. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say decent weather. That would be number one. I I don't want a windy day. I don't want a super crazy weather day. Just want something that is manageable.
1: How many cups of coffee? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's, yeah, your, what's got your go-to 20- bean there? Have you got like a, a custom roasted bean in Armstrong? Or are we just talking Tim Hortons? What are we talking here?
2: Um, I play around with my coffee. I don't have one, one set brand or bean. I've, I really like the, uh, Salt Spring Island stuff. Um, 7-Eleven, you know, if, if you're on the road trip coffee, it's either 7-Eleven or McDonald's. I'm not a big Tim Hortons fan. I know that's very un-Canadian like of me, but I, is, I love to, isn't really my I, favorite.
1: Okay, so here's something that I, and I don't know this to be true, but this is what somebody told me, is that um, McDonald's somehow got the Tim Hortons coffee. So I used to love Tim Hortons coffee. I I haven't loved it as much as I used to like 15 years, 20 years ago, but I do love McDonald's coffee. And somebody that I, I worked with worked at Tim Hortons, and they said that apparently they lost the supply chain, whatever, to mcdonald's so i'm like ah that's why that coffee's so good it's actually the old tim hortons now i don't know that to be true i could be totally out in left field but that's what she told me and i thought well that makes a lot of sense
2: you know i've i've heard that and i'm 76 percent sure that is accurate but i've also heard that that's not the case it's just mcdonald's coffee is a little bit better but no, I, I I agree with you. Tim Hortons years ago used to be a better coffee. I I don't think it is anymore. Um, and you know that's that's roughly around when McDonald's did start tasting a little better. So it's it, it's a very good possibility, and I'm gonna run with it. I've I've kind of thought that that is the story behind
1: it. If, if, if you're listening and you know the answer, let us know. Yeah. Because this please, is a 76, we got this down to 76% chance. I like how you figured that <laughs> out right away. Oh just man. A, just
2: a random number that came up, you know. I love it.
1: So Travis, is there anything about fly fishing that kind of irks you? Like, is there anything that you wish we would do differently as a group or, um, are we in a pretty good kind of spot right now?
2: I uh... in in a whole i think we're we're pretty good we're we're always evolving a little bit um thing i really love to see in this this industry is new people and in, in a, a younger crowd get into it um but I, I think as a whole we're we're in a fairly good place uh I, it would be nice to see a bit more management on our our local waters um I don't know about the rest of the world. I don't get to travel outside of British Columbia, but um, I think as a whole, we're, we're fairly decent.
1: Yeah. I love it. I I think, I think so too. Like, I think if you look back, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there's a lot less people doing it. I get excited when I think as, as fly fishers, we can, there's so much to learn and there's so there's so many places you can learn it now. To me, that's kind of yeah. motivating, you know.
2: Like so getting back, I, I said, you know, VHS magazines and I, I look at YouTube and the the technology that's out there for, for fishermen and fly tires to to have at their fingertips and, and it, part of me loves it and part of me hates it. It I see a guy that's only tied for a year and his quality is is just mind-boggling of of how short of a learning curve he had to myself or i'm sure you got into it many years ago yourself
1: yeah oh yeah and i, you know, I feel that i know exactly what you're saying I'll, I'll put on somebody's been i picked up a vice six months ago and i'm looking at these patterns going like well that looks like you've been tying for 25 years yeah
2: um one of the guys i fished with uh got into tying last january and within three months his cronies were amazing tapers they're clean the ribs are are consistent and and i was i was just awestruck by it and and it's the technology we have now and that's i'd say that's one of the biggest things with with the industry now is how the technology is changing and we've got more at our fingertips and it is it it's a great thing. But at the same time, I class myself as old school, you know, I've, I've been tying and fishing for 20, 27 years, yeah, 27 years now. So I consider myself in the old school category of, you know, those guys in their 50s, 60s, 70s, just because it was a more of a learning curve to to pick that stuff up.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool that you like sharing that knowledge. I love what you're doing with your YouTube channel and and with bearded trout flies. And um, thanks so much for for spending the time today, Travis. I, I appreciate getting to know you a little bit, your story, and uh, keep up all those good trips with Congo. Because <laughs> I know I've been following you kind of quietly in the background for quite a few years, and um, you used to post a lot more than you do now.
2: I I yeah. Um... My, my main Facebook, I've kind of slowed down on on doing a lot of personal stuff on there. so I've I've mainly focused on the fly tying aspect. but I, I go into the the cycles of posting a bunch and then taking a break, posting a bunch. and I really need to stop doing that and just you know kind of get a set schedule and and stick to it more.
1: Well, keep up the good work, my friend. Appreciate your time, and, and hopefully we can uh, share a shoal at some point. Um, mm-hmm,
2: definitely, soon. and uh, for, for anybody that's listening out there, um, if you do happen to see me on the water at the lake or, you know, rolling down the highway, wave, hawk, stop by. If you're looking for flies, I've always got flies with me. There's, there, there's a fly shop with me at all times. <laughs> Like, I, I do a lot of lakeside sales, and you know, for I spend a lot of time on the water. My best year was a hundred and fifty-six days on still waters, no ice fishing. Wow! So there there's a lot of time that goes into learning and playing around, researching my patterns. And like I say, I've got a lot of stuff with me at all times, and all the gear is with me. So if you see me at the lake and you want some custom flies. Come see me, come sit down, have a coffee or a beer. Let's go for a walk with Kat. cat. And <laughs> yeah, the, the campfire is always open and there's usually something barbecuing.
1: <laughs> love it. Love it. Tried and tested patterns. Be- bearded trout flies. We've been chatting tonight with Travis Rowe out of Armstrong, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, check him out at bearded trout flies. Thanks again, Travis. Have a great night, my friend. You as well, Mark.
0: The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.